You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. And what's up, everybody? We are back tonight on the O2 podcast. Just got uh, Andrew and Corey, or Andrew and Paul. Sorry, I'm not sure where Corey's at. Uh, he likes hey, Miami, to, man. He likes to do that. He goes on these like spurts where he just is non-existent anymore. So he's probably calculating like arrow spine percentages or some shit like that. So love you, Corey. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, let's see, Paul, let's just get this out of the way. Uh, we have no idea when this episode's going to air. Uh, we are recording this tonight. It's December 2nd. Uh, that's on me. So I, if anybody was actually waiting for this to come out, I've actually uh, had a couple people like, yeah, where's the episode? I'm like, eh, we're, we're gun hunting. Sorry. Uh, I was over in, in Pennsylvania, uh, doing, the uh, big woods public land rifle season and i had very little to no uh, cell phone service or wi-fi and there's also this like weird time warp thing that happens in the cabin where it's like 6 45 and you're ready to go to bed so every night we were trying to get something put together and i just could not keep my eyes open but i guess that happens when it's 4 30 in the morning you go sit out in the cold and then get you know, hike around and everything else. So you guys had some good snow up there. It looked like it, it, it was snow covered the whole time. Yeah. Was, that's awesome. And I'm trying to think that was like the fourth time I've been up there for that. That was the most deer I've ever seen up there. Was it? Yeah. So I don't know do if you, I'm, do you ever, I'm getting do you, better. Or if the, do you, do you encounter, encounter any bear on your, uh, your hunts out there? I haven't, but some of our guys have over the years and, uh, there's a couple areas really thick with mountain laurel, so they'll they'll be yeah. down in there and that kind of stuff. Um, trying to think. <laughs> so last night I set up um, in the saddle and I was overlooking this area and I kind of tried to use all my information that I get from all these podcasts and articles and everything else. And it wasn't bad. I wasn't completely off. Uh, I did have a doe come through. Right at the last, uh, I don't know, last 20 minutes or so. So I did pick up a spot where deer come through. I was happy with that. Uh, but then I watched a flock of turkeys across the, the way uh, get up in a hemlock tree to roost. You know, these turkeys that I couldn't find a month ago during uh, turkey season. Yeah, we found them all over the place this week. So, yeah, of course, that's how that works. And uh, anywho, got a, got a doe out of the deal. And... That's uh, about about fills my freezer for the year. That's pretty cool. But. Yeah, I I went out the first couple of days down to some public in Southern Ohio and um, 
doing the same thing, man. Just, I was all over Parker McDonald's, um, yeah, hard transitions and you know, his, what was it like his three things that he's always looking for? So I found those three, three things, common denominators, common denominators, listen to that episode again. And, um, I'm like, man, this is like, this, this has to be, this has to be where the, where the deer moved. So I, I sat out the opening day, didn't hear a ton of gunshots. There was a decent amount of people. Everyone was, was, you know, kind of still hunting. So there wasn't, you know, a ton of action, but, um, so we, I, I hunted until, you know, I had to start getting back and going, you know, I had to go to work. And so I, I was like, man, I, I just want to check out the, this other side, you know, this other little area. And I found like, a deer highway. I mean, I found scrapes. I found rubs. I'm like, man, I was like, I was like a hundred yards away from where I like the perfect spot where I needed, you know, where all the deer are, you know, it was talking about, you know, those geological features that's going to hold all the deer. I was like, I was right there. So I don't know, we'll give it a, give another go tomorrow and maybe get a little, little action in this weekend, but good. I so. have to, I have to say, okay. So I look forward to gun week every year. Uh, I, I, that's all I really care about. Um, I have surgery coming up that I postponed until after, uh, I got back from the cabin first morning, we're heading out there and six o'clock in the morning, I'm driving by myself out to my spot and, uh, they had ice covered roads and I put my truck in a ditch and, uh, that was, it was bad. Cause I put it over top of this culvert, like into this rock bank it wasn't something that you could just pull out i end up having to get a local toad company to come up there and we're not talking like the side of you know 161 or something or a state route like this is in the middle of nowhere um <laughs> oh my god at six o'clock in the morning i'm like uh well uh nobody's gonna be able to help me now it's saturday it's first day of gun season it's uh dark you're it's s-o-l six. i'm s-o-l so I'm going to grab my stuff and I'm going to hike the two miles to my stand. And that's what's going to happen. And I saw like nine deer that morning. So did you really? Uh, and that's when I shot my doe. And I was like, see, yeah. that makes it a little bit better. Uh, then I had to go figure out how to get my truck out of the ditch. But that's uh, I had I had a rough opening morning, too. Definitely not as bad as yours. And and I've spared you the shame of posting those pictures on social media. So if people want to see them, they can ask and I'll for sure do it. But so I was, I was walking in the woods and and my best friend, Kenny, we, you know, we, we kind of separate and he was covering one area and, and I was going down a little farther and there was like this little ravine that cuts through and it's maybe like a four foot drop and, and then, you know, four feet back up to the other side. And so, yeah, I, I've been hunting Southern Ohio to know that like these slate bottom creeks are everywhere. And it just didn't dawn on me that that's what this was and just having to be covered in leaves. And I hit that, I jumped into this slate bottom and I, my feet went straight up in the air and I hit the ground as hard as 300 pounds could hit. And man, I, I like held the shotgun out. I thought I was, I, I thought I was done for. And I, I just laid there in mud and water. And I was like, what the hell, man? Like, <laughs> why didn't you just do that? And so I ended up like, like sliding down, fell off this little cliff. I was just a mess, man. I just, I just laid there for like three or four minutes and just, couldn't catch my breath and oh, it, was, it, was, it was horrible. We were going to shit my pants. There's mud all the way from my butt, all the way up my back on my, on my hunter orange vest. So it was, it was awful. That's how I started my morning. So well, I'm sorry, Paul. That's uh, yeah. also, you definitely had, had a worse opening morning than me. So it cost me, better it's going to cost me more money. We, I yeah, can guarantee sure. that. So yeah, for sure. So we got a good episode. I think this week it was, um, yeah, you, you worked hard to set this one up, man. Good for you. Yeah. And I just so everybody, I like, again, I don't know. It's December 2nd. Will this come out tomorrow? Will it come out next week? I don't know. Um, this was, uh, we got Tony Peterson. So if, um, a lot of people are, are familiar with Tony Peterson. He's now uh, working part-time or something with Meat Eater and Mark Kenyon. He does different things on Wired to Hunt's podcast. Um, Tony's everywhere. He writes articles. He's been like, in the industry for a long time, way before I was uh, for really paying attention. So um, we had the opportunity uh, a few weeks ago, and you'll see, or as you hear throughout the, the interview, uh, we weren't really sure when we were going to play this. 
But when you have the opportunity to interview Tony Peterson, you do it. And sure. uh, so we did it. And and it's uh, mostly going to talk about how to approach deer hunting after gun season. So um, whether yeah, it's bow hunting after gun season, bow so. hunting or you know, even I think on that second weekend or muzzle loader, like when the deer shook up a little bit and trying to yeah. get them back to, you know, what, what do you need to be doing and stuff? And yeah, yeah. We, did, we talk, we talk, we talk some hunting, we talk some life experiences and kids and it was cool, man. It was, I thought it was a really, it was a really, it was really neat to talk to him that, you know, he was very uh, gracious with his time. So I'll tell you what, I'm not sure I've met somebody who's more down to earth. Oh yeah. He was awesome. So, so. Yeah, but I don't dude. think I don't think we got any real news from around the state. I mean, obviously it's uh, the first week of December here, so we are halfway. yeah full tilt. Yeah, full tilt for gun season, and hope everyone's safe. I know where I was at the public land. There was a lot of people out this year, so a lot of people participating, and and uh, it's you know the biggest week for hunters in Ohio. I think so for a lot of us. Good. Yeah, and we'll get uh, we'll get numbers from uh, ODNR and stuff coming up here on, on the harvest, and we'll share those with you guys and all that kind of stuff. So um, I don't think we got anything else uh, from Corey's perspective. I, I do know Corey sat out for three sits up there in Pennsylvania and saw zero deer, but he also would tell you how he has trouble falling asleep in the stand. So perhaps there is a correlation there between why you see no deer. Uh, when you fall asleep in the stand yeah for sure anywho enjoy it everybody and uh we we appreciate you listening uh what at ohio hunt on twitter the.o2.podcast on instagram paul did set up a facebook i don't know what it is uh but uh, yeah (laughs) thanks thanks for listening i hope you guys enjoy it take care see What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O2 Podcast. Tonight, we got a very special guest, Mr. Tony Peterson. Uh, Tony, I don't know how to ask this, but I guess before we get going into the topic at hand, what do you do? And maybe the easier question is, what do you not do? Because you're everywhere nowadays on all the stuff that I listen to and read and everything. So, uh, Well, there's a lot of stuff I don't do. Uh, I would say... You know, I hate, I hate this term so much, but I really am a content creator now. I, I used to be just a writer and I loved it. I was an outdoor writer and a photographer, and that was really sweet. (laughs) And that world, you know, the magazine world's not doing too hot right now and things have changed. And so, you know, it's, it's a weird deal. You get into a career and you're like, man, I I love this. This was kind of my dream. And then it starts to morph into something else. And so what you thought, you know, you're going to rely on, and this has happened to people in industries all over for, since we've had industries, you know, but then it's like, well, you got to write more digital stuff. And do you want to get in front of the camera? And all of a sudden now you've got podcasts out there. And I just really realized like, man, I love to talk about deer hunting and write about deer hunting. And I'm, I'm going to stick around somehow. So (laughs) I do, I do a lot of different stuff now, I guess. That's awesome. And uh, we appreciate it for, uh, all of our, us, we're the content absorbers or consumers. We we do appreciate it. Uh, I can, I think I'm speaking for most of us in the, throughout the Midwest uh, when it comes to taking in all of the, your knowledge. So we are going to talk tonight a little bit about how to handle deer, uh, bucks in general. I, I kind of deer in general uh, after a gun week. So in Ohio. We've got our good old week of shotgun and straight walled cartridges, muzzle loaders that goes that week after Thanksgiving, um, November 29th to December 5th. We get a lot of pressure uh, from guys who maybe don't hunt any other time of the year. Uh, might be out on a deer drive or just to go sit in the woods, take a couple of days, whatever. Um that seems to be probably the most powerful. It's most popular. It's the the Orange Army taking over um, over the but state. What are the numbers down there? Do you know? Oh, I should have been prepared. Uh, I don't know. Just ballpark it. It's uh, it's always interesting to hear 
you know, I, I grew up in Minnesota. And so we, we kind of just historically have had like 500,000 gun hunters. Right. And it, that's gone down a little bit in the last, I don't know, probably decade or so. So I think we're closer to like 420 or 430 or something, but growing up, I was like, we have the most gun hunters ever. And then I started hunting Wisconsin and they're like, we have 680,000 gun. And then you start hearing about Michigan and Pennsylvania and you go, okay, well, we're kind of right in the middle. So I was just curious where, if you knew where Ohio was. All right. So you gave me a second to look it up there. Uh, I think this was last year's it's like 310,000 hunters. Okay. Participated in Ohio's week long gun deer season. Yeah. So that's a few folks out there pushing. Some yeah. Deer. And like uh, we've talked in some of our other podcasts, we don't have a ton of public land over here. I think we're 95% privately owned throughout the state and only about 2% is even huntable of that, you know, five that's left there. So it's a lot of private land. It's a lot of ag specifically especially on the western side of the state you know we've got the interstate 71 runs right up the middle of the state west side is very heavy ag east side is a little bit more of uh appalachia ish um but uh, it kind of gives us a little bit of everything so some, some diversity out there yeah so and then to add in if you are a bow hunter or really if you're a gun hunter whatever uh we've got the bonus weekend of december 18th and 19th followed by the muzzleloader season, January 8th through 11th. And I know that that's the Ohio specific idea, but um, when it comes to deer that are pressured by guns specifically, I think that that is something that can go across state lines and it's not going to be just Ohio. I mean, it could be Indiana, Kentucky, Michigan, basically the Midwest, right? Um, so anything, when we get going down this, it, it's not just Ohio. It's just, I'm, I'm rattling off our dates and, and what we've got. Uh, to look, look forward to here. So um, it's Thanksgiving. We're getting ready to head out to the woods. We're going to have deer getting kicked up and pushed all over the place, crossing, you know, property lines, that kind of stuff. What, it, I don't know, what were to be some words of advice, Tony, that you would give to you know the average joe that might go out for uh this week of of gun season is there anything i mean when it comes to playing the pressure off of your neighbors or are we looking for food sources maybe earlier in the week you're finding the bedding what what kind of stuff i mean how would you attack something like that uh you know i i really think you kind of have to start with the the yeah you have to acknowledge the fact that we think that the deer are out there getting pushed everywhere, but there's this, I kind of like, uh, this is going to be a really weird analogy, but have you ever seen, I don't know if it's like the price is right or something. There's like a Plinko game where like they drop that little disc and it bounces all over and like it's supposed to land in a certain spot. Right. Like there's kids games like that. Like when I think about, when I think about gun season in a lot of these really busy States where there's a lot of hunters, we think, all right, they're getting pushed all over. Right. And that. I think that's like mostly an opening day or an opening maybe weekend type of thing. And they seem to settle pretty quickly in the places we aren't, which is why, you know, your best hunting is typically the first day. And by a couple of days into it, you're like, there's no deer left. They're freaking gone. And so we think they're gone. But what I started doing, I, I stumbled onto this totally by accident a long, like I was probably, I don't know, like 14 years old. I was bow hunting Minnesota and I just wanted to hunt during the gun season, but we didn't gun hunt. And I want, I just wanted to go bow hunting. And so my dad was like, we had some private property to that we had permission on. He said, just go walk out and drop over the bluff to the river there. And there's an old permanent stand there. Just climb into that. He was just getting rid of me. And when I walked over that hill, it was white flags going everywhere. And I was like, Holy, even if it would have been like opening night, it would have been a lot of deer to see. I got up there. I can't remember how many deer I missed that night, but I missed a couple fell apart just, but amazing hunting. And I was going, this is supposed to be the worst hunting we can have. And what we just stumbled into was a little spot that the gun hunters weren't going to. And that really stuck with me, man. Like I've, I've spent a lot of time. I haven't spent a ton of time gun hunting. I spent some time gun hunting. I've spent a lot of time looking around right after gun season and walking around either you know rabbit hunting or chasing pheasants or just scouting and what i realized is we think these deer are ping-ponging all over the place they're getting sucked into these little sanctuaries and it's not 
it's not like the, the no hunting grounds down the road that the PETA lady owns and she doesn't let anybody in. It's the place on your property that's a willow thicket, or it's the place, it's the cattail slough, or it's that bench on the bluff just above the road that nobody goes to. And these places exist. And I, you know, I know it's a matter of scale, right? Like if you only have 30 acres to hunt, you might not have it, but you probably do, or you should probably find out. But if you've got a decent amount of land to work with, this is public, private, whatever. I'm just like continually amazed when you get out there after gun season or like six days into gun season and you start looking around, there's pockets of deer out there that you just don't expect. And you got to get in on them. So when we're talking about uh, those areas, I mean, it's areas perhaps you've neglected all year long that you, they've just, like you say, it's thick and, and we have a lot of honeysuckle in Ohio that just this um, aimer honeysuckle that just gets so thick. And I know I've seen them bed down in there. Um, you know, is that, well, it, it could be half an acre of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, so just, just to give you an example, I w- I've got a little pup I'm working on. She's six months old. And so I'm just starting to hunt uh, woodcock and grouse with her in Northern Wisconsin. And I go into these chunks of public land and just trying to find some woodcock and grouse. And I'm following the dog. Like I don't have really a, a destination in mind. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just kind of like, let's just go. And I'm always amazed at how often I go by the same, like, landmark you know what i mean and so what it tells me is even though i think i'm totally just freestyling it out there we we fall into these travel patterns and we and we kind of filter to the same spots and so when you think about that property that you hunt all the time and you're like i know every inch of this sucker and they're definitely not in there man it doesn't take that much to hide some deer and you might be talking about only hiding a couple deer but there, there's so many little places like that, these little microclimates and stuff they know about where they get in there and we are just so into our patterns that we don't go. And it, honestly, the best way to find them, we find them all the time when we're not looking for them. We're like I said, we're out trying to just kick some cottontails around or, or we're trying to push up some roosters. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, there's, we just kicked three bucks out of this little spot. And in a way that you'd look at and go, there's no way there should be a deer here, but they're here right now. And the gun season ended yesterday. Right. And I mean, it's, it is one of those things that every year it's, you think there's the deer are all gone. They're gone. There's no more deer here. Uh, but obviously the big ones, they make it through, you know, and they find a way. So they're there somewhere. And that makes, makes perfect sense as far as how um, that would work. So we've gotten through the week of, of the pressure. We're starting to fo- focus in on some of these smaller areas where you know they can be bedded down and feel safer the sanctuaries how long or maybe it doesn't take any time at all before they start getting back into some type of you know bed to feed pattern uh, are we still looking at the, you know you hear about the late rut uh, as there's still late does coming in i mean how much can you play into that idea um after you've been through the gun season like how long before you you'd say it kind of goes back to normal quote unquote Uh, the places I hunt I don't ever see it go I I wouldn't say I see it go back to normal I do see uh I do see some bed to food food to bed stuff happening again but what I what I really realize after gun season is like this is a game time (laughs) like there's it it just feels like you don't ever go back to those deer that you're going to get away with anything with that you might've had before the gun season came. It's like, it's just, it's just a change thing. You know I mean? Depending on what state you're in, maybe 20 to 30% of the deer got shot, you know I mean? Or at least if you go off the success rates, that's, that's a big chunk of deer taken out. And those deer have had the scariest week or 10 days or, you know, here by my house in the twin cities, it's 22 days of gun season. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's, they do that because there aren't a ton of places to hunt. So there's a lot of backyard deer that aren't getting hunted. It's it's a weird deal, but that's a, that leaves a mark. Right. And so I always, and I've talked about this a bunch, but I always look at that post gun season thing. I'm like, okay, I want to know where their sanctuaries are for two reasons. Like I can use those for bow season next year. I can use them if I gun hunt and I just really want to know like, okay, they're still there. And then when I know that, and like, you know, okay, there's a concentration here or there, you might not get that like traditional uh, late season stuff that we talk about all the time where it's like, oh, get on a cut cornfield and you're going to kill one because he's going to be tired from the rut. Like 
that that world is southern iowa prime ground i mean people have it right but a lot of people don't and i i've never had that where i've been like i'm just gonna go post up on a a food source and the big deer are going to come. Like I, I can't even post up on a food source and count on fawns coming in. Like if you, if you were like, Hey, Tone, go kill a button buck in December. I'd be like, I don't know if I can, man. <laughs> like, I really, I, I don't know. That might be too big of a challenge. And so what I do is, you know, knowing some of those concentrations, knowing where they are, they're, they're going to keep using those to some extent. I start to just like backtrack to a staging area thing again, you know, and I, I talk about this all the time, but I, because I don't have that much confidence getting out on something open and being like, okay, they're going to come to this field. I know they're going to go to that field, but they're going to come there after dark. Right. And they're going to leave in the morning before it gets light out. Um, it's almost a guarantee for a lot of places. So then I go, what's in between and how do you get there? And that's where you really start to figure out like, how, how's your a game as far as access, like when everything, because if you're getting in between there, you're like working on a tight window of daylight you know, in the morning or night and it's, they're tough deer to hunt, but man, it can be fun. One of the things you said here a little bit ago with the, in regards to the sanctuaries and that kind of stuff, you get the thickets, maybe not the best place. You can't find a tree. That's what I'm getting at. Okay. You have a hard find time getting a tree. Are you going in with a ground blind? Are you going in on the, you know, on the, your, feet just just hunting from the ground what 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 kind of thoughts might you have on that and i, I guess i'm just asking from personal experiences of like oh man this is real deer you look at all these tracks and everything and i'm looking around for a tree and i can't find anything of course i don't have ground blind with me and okay what are we going to do but um you know a lot in a lot of those thick areas the honeysuckle and that kind of stuff there that chokes out trees uh or they haven't had time to develop in there so you don't always have a great place to hang around. Um, any thought? Yeah. I mean, this, this is a really common thing, right? Like I had a guy send me a message today and this happens all the time. Like, Oh man, I found this concentration of bucks, but I can't hunt there because the wind swirls or I can't get in. They know I'm going in there every time. I'm like, yeah, that's why they're there, man. Like they chose those spots for a reason that that little thicket that you don't have any trees to hang in. There's a reason they're in there. You know, like how are you going to approach them? Those, those cattail sloughs, how the hell are you going to get to them? And so you got to just, okay, well, like they're going somewhere, right? Like they're not going to be in there the whole time. Where, where is the destination food? Is there, is there a way to get in between them? Or a lot of times you'll see, like, you just got to play those conditions. Like maybe you get some rainy, something raining, you can move in. And, you know, when you ask about like a ground blind or, you know, we, we kind of default, you know, the hot thing right now is saddles, right? Like they, they swung back around. Everybody wants to be in a saddle. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great tool for some stuff. But so is a hang on stand. So is a climber. So is a ladder stand. So is a ground blind. So is a natural ground blind. You know, like I always tell people, I'm like, have all those options, like understand those options. I mean, I, it's kind of stupid. If you looked in my garage, you'd be like, this guy's got like one of everything. Like you got climbers. I got, I got all kinds of stuff because you just, I don't know what I'm going to run into. And when you find a situation like that, like you find that when you travel and you hunt a lot, you find a concentration and you're like, this is not like a cut and dry, get into a tree, kill them when they walk by 20 yards. Like you got to improvise and you got to just think, okay, the advantage is they want to be there. They feel safe there. So that works for you. Your disadvantage is maybe I can't climb in a tree. And I'm, I find myself in these situations a lot setting up on the ground, not, not a, no ground blind, just setting up in a little natural ground, like ground blind somehow just tucking in somewhere where my shot is, 20 yards away or you know, in that time of the season, I kind of like 25, 30 yard shots. I like being off a little bit and just like, all I can see is this window. Like they come through here. I have this shot. I'm not going to see tons of deer. You know what I mean? It's going to be a boring sit where you're like, I better pay attention because that's what I got. But that's, I don't know, like that, that mentality has served me pretty well because you, when you see people, we just, we naturally default to like nice views right? Like we want to see a ton. Like we want to be where it's open. And that's why we hunt where we hunt most of the time. But if you go hunt where you're going to kill them, you're not going to have that. And so it's just like, I got to try to figure out one of those little things. And you know, like I'm making this sound like you can just go in and do it. And it's going to be easy. Like these situations are so variable, right? But you might find that and you might find a situation where there's a deadfall you can just tuck into. And yeah, they're in that honeysuckle or the multiflora rose or whatever, but there's one spot where they'll cross through and that might be it. 
That's great. And you're right. Uh, we do all think that we're just going to go out and find that perfect tree with the perfect lane at 20 yards. I, I, I don't know if it's consuming too much stuff on, on YouTube nowadays or whatever, but uh, I know from my personal experience, it doesn't usually work that way. So. Um, do you have any thoughts on that late rut idea? Is there any, anything to that? Well, yeah. I mean, we know from conception date studies that there's a certain percentage of does and doe fawns that'll get bred 28 days after the main one. But I, you know, I've heard people write about, or, you know, I've read articles and heard people talk about like, oh, that can be as good as the regular. I'm like, are you nuts? <laughs> like, hey, There's no way. And I've seen in, in my lifetime, I've hunted quite a bit. I've probably seen like three instances of chasing where I was like, that little doe is in estrus. And where you're just like, this is clear what's going on here. And I mean, you think about that, that's like once a decade, you know, for, for somebody like me. And so, yeah, I would, you know, may, you might have it, somebody might run into it, but I would say relying on it is probably not a great idea. If a, if a doe, this is kind of a biological question. Um, but if a doe goes into estrus late this year, is that something she's going to repeat next year? Or is that like, uh, does there, does that cycle change from year to year um i think i think most of the late cyclers that you're talking about with the, the second rut are doe fawns but i do you know they know they've studied them man i mean they, they'll they'll get pregnant from like september through march and if, if you study a big enough herd right or yeah you have a big enough sample size i guess i should say and so i don't know if that's something that's inherent to individual does that, that maybe a couple of them are early cyclers and they always are. I guess I don't really know. It's a good question. Gotcha. So as we sit here in Ohio, uh, we've got about three days. It looks like ahead of us of a lot of rain and we just got done with a lot of rain. It's been very wet here the last week to 10 days. Uh, we still have a lot of standing corn. I have faith that the farmers are going to get that out of the field. Maybe I pray about it every night that they get the one out of my backyard. But uh, <laughs> let's just say, you know, if, if they got into a situation where they couldn't get it out of, out of the, the, the fields, you've got a, a plot, an area where it's pretty heavy corn still sitting up there, you know, getting into that second week of December. Do you have any uh, thoughts on how to hunt something like that where you've got a very good standing food source? Well, I mean, if you, if you have a, a cornfield left late like that, you know, a lot of times if you can get up above it, you can see into it pretty well. I mean, it, obviously it depends how it lays out, but I, I have that situation on a place I hunt here by my house quite often. They don't get the corn out for some reason. And I, you know, it, it factors into the whole thing, you know I mean? It, especially when you're talking about going into winter, they're going to use that corn. And so a lot of times it's just a matter of getting on the edge and figuring out where they're coming and going. You know, the, the hard part is, and you see this when you, when you're dealing with like a, a real intense gun season is if they really start to bed in the corn, those deer are really tough to get because they're, they can bed right there in the groceries and they don't have to leave. I mean, they do, but they don't have to leave when you're there. And so that gets really tough, but it, you know, again, it, we, we, we look at these things a lot of times, like they're negatives, like, oh man, it sucks that the corn's not out. And yeah, like it'd be easier if it was, but there's, there's benefits to it too. You know, like if they leave that corn in long enough after the gun season's over, that's going to start to play in, in a major way. And maybe you'll get to go kill one on the edge of it or in the first few rows. That's just loading up on carbs. You know, I mean, I, I think we, I, I've been trying to push this message a lot. Like, I, I think we need to kind of reframe how we think about this. Cause it's so easy to go negative on hunting, right? Cause it's hard. And there's so like, you, you know, when you talk about that cornfield, there's so much stuff out of your control. Like you can't get that farmer out there in his combine. He's going to do it when he does it. And he's going to do that in accordance with mother nature. Right. So you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs going, I, I hope this happens, but what are you going to do? You know, like right. this, we, we, we love this stuff partially because it's so hard and there's so many variables like that you can't control. Like when it all comes together, that's what makes it so sweet. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's, it is quite the challenge, but it almost, when you've got 80 acres of corn sitting there that, you know, that sanctuary area, area, and especially if you don't have access to that 80 acres, uh, that can be, uh, seemingly almost an overwhelming challenge, but yeah, they, they will have to move eventually. Right. So just be patient. They'll come out of there. Yeah. Um, do you ever notice as 
as the season goes on where scrapes and rubs continue to be active? And is that something that you, if you have the ability to hone in on, um, that you should be And I, I actually for my, myself personally, I saw last year after it was after the, the gun season, I, I mean, there was snow on the ground and that rub was so fresh that the shavings were on the snow. I mean, so it was still using that for something, but you know, again, if we're not in that time we're marking territory and, and all that kind of stuff, what, what are, should, is that something we should hone in or take a look at? Um, I would say never ignore it. You know, I mean, I've, I've seen the same thing happen where you find rubs on, or you find the shavings right on top of the snow. And I found scrapes, the same situation. And I don't I mean, when I, when I get on the, on the back end of gun season and I get out, out of that, I just, I just want deer sign. Like I, I just want, and it, I'm what I mean by that is like, I just want tracks, you know, if you get anything else, it's a bonus. Right. And I don't know. I mean, we know that a good scrape of the ricking, licking branch is going to get used a whole bunch, but would I go sit on it in December? Like I would not unless there was a bunch of other stuff working in that spot. But if you find a rub in the cover and it's super fresh and it's a big one, that would, that would get my attention a little bit just cause like, why, what, what's going on there? And you know, who made that and why that's, that's an interesting question to try to answer for yourself. Well, that was my next question is why would they do that? Dude, I, you know, I don't know. They're territorial. They communicate through scent in a, in ways we can't even fathom. And I think there's just times where we, we, we think we know this stuff so well. Like it, I always think about this cause I, I love bird dogs, right? Like I, I talk about bird dogs, I train bird dogs. I love it. When you see the stuff they do with their nose, like the good ones, I just go, we don't have a clue what deer are doing. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you, we think, oh, they come in, they use scrapes this time and they're doing this and they leave their scent here. We don't, we know like 3% of what deer actually do, I think. And so there's probably a thousand reasons why a buck would make a rub in December. You know, maybe, maybe a big boy got kicked out of some other place they were developing or something happened and he showed up there and there's a little competition or maybe they just randomly walk along and that dude's like, I kind of want to fake fight that tree and I'm going to do it. And he never thinks about it again. You know, who knows? Right. It's like, we all punch a wall at some point, right? Might as well fight fake trees, <laughs> fake fight the trees. Maybe that's the version. Maybe he got into some like apples that were fermented and he's hammered and he wants to <laughs> go full frat boy and punch a hole in his wall. I wanted that dough. Damn it. <laughs> um. So one of the things in Ohio, we, uh, and parts of the other parts of the Midwest, but we don't always have the snow. You're way up there in the, the Arctic uh, where you guys have snow like eight months of the year. So you can probably rely on that. Uh, we get it. It'll come. It'll go. Uh, we've had a couple of Christmases lately where it's been about 65 degrees. But then there's been other times where we've had snow cover for weeks. Um, how how are we? Are you? obviously we want to find that sign, find those tracks in the snow. would be great, but there are, there's gotta be differences there as far as how long they can go without, you know, a, a good food source with snow on the ground, or is there anything when it comes to hunting the, the snow versus non-snow that you would suggest to watch for or, or pay attention to? Um, I would, you know, if I, if I could just draw up a scenario, I would rather not have snow to hunt in. I, it's a hell of a lot easier to see deer travel and trails and all that good stuff, but mm -hmm. it's so temperamental as far as noise. And, you know, I mean, if it's, if it's, you get a little bit of rain, then you've got this icy crunchy snowpack. Um, if it's too cold, it's squeaky when you walk through it and it just, I just don't like it as much. I'd rather hunt. I, I like just, we get December's here once in a while where, we just get some like kind of light misty rain and we don't get a ton of snow until later. I love those conditions. Cause then you, you know, the trails, you know, they're not as obvious as in a, you know, a foot of snow. Right. But I want to see, I want to see pounded trails. Like I want to see, I want to walk through that cornfield or whatever and go, okay, now I know they're ending up here. Where are they coming from? Where did they start from? And it's kind of like, if you do a lot of, you know, March scouting or, you know, late winter, early spring scouting, you just go out there and it's just a gift on what you can see. 
and there's no leaves up, you know, there's a lot of kind of wet conditions. So the, the, the stuff just shows up and the terrain, you can read the terrain better. I feel like you get a glimpse of that in the late season and it's a big benefit. Yeah. The um, Tony, what, at what point did the, the bucks start grouping back up? Man, I think, you know, I mean, it, I'm sure it varies a little bit the farther south you get, but I see them start to group up probably, I guess, anywhere from early December throughout the month, you know, and I mean, you still see loners and it's the same thing in, you know, in, in the summer, you think everybody's batched up and you go out and you'll glass loners, you know, but I do see, and, and what I think is going on there, I think it's just deer concentrations, you know, like I think that deer, they just naturally like we're safer together. And when you get to that point in the season, they're like, okay, there's only so much good cover. There's only so much good food. So they're going to be kind of on top of one another anyway. That makes sense. I know I go, I have, um, for my real job, uh, conference, I always end up in, in the middle of January and I have my camera that reminds me that there's still monsters out there, uh, because they love to come together in, uh, and, and it always daylight. It's amazing how that works. So they come back, um, at that point. When we start, uh, you know, we talked about the sanctuaries and all that kind of stuff. All right. So we're into January. We're past all the gun seasons. This is the late part, the last push. You haven't filled your tag, whatever. Are we still looking for the sanctuaries? At what point would you start focusing in on kind of the south facing hillsides or, you know, uh, is there any other food sources or anything that might change as the later we get, the colder it gets. Um, I mean, I know when you go out shed hunting, we really try to focus in on where they're bedding uh, to find those sheds. And are they moving into those type of regions uh, that you should be focusing in on or. Um, it, it just depends, man. You know, I, the difference with shed hunting is you're just looking for where did the deer spend most of their time? And when you get into shed season, you know, most of their time is 15 hours of darkness a night, you know? And so it's, it's a different thing. Like we need to find, you know, if you want to kill one, you need to find where they're moving in that nine hours of daylight or whatever you're working with. And so I, man, I really just get into this. I, it, what it feels like to me, you know, I start the season, the bow season, you know, a lot of States I, I hunt, it'll be September one or September 15th, something like that. Maybe a little later in September, but you know, you got that really good food plan, right? Like you're like, I'm going to go sit on the food sources. Maybe I'm going to sit on a water source, something like I, I got to figure it out. I know what they're going to be doing. And then you get into October and the pressure hits them and things start changing. And so to me, it's like, okay, now I got to find some staging areas. I got to find fresh sign. I got to get on current deer moving. So I'm just mixing this like mobile hunting strategy with just like, where, where are the deer showing me they are right now? I feel like once you start getting away from the end of gun season for a little bit, my process reminds me of that. I'm like, okay, I got an idea, right? Like, I think they like to bed in this Creek bottom. And I think they like to feed in that cut bean field or cornfield or whatever down the road. But somewhere in between here, my job is to find where they like to walk. And, and it's, you know, it's nice if you're on a property, like if you got a lease or you own some land or you, you got something that's consistent, cause you can, you can sort of layer in that experience year to year and like, okay, last year they did this. I'm going to start there. And a lot of times that'll work or you'll, you'll at least be in the neighborhood. But man, if you're out on public land or you're hunting a place that you don't really control very well, it's, it almost is like you just start over and you're like, okay, I don't really know what's going on out here, but I got to look. And for me, the places I'm looking at, they're in the cover always. Like I, I will go walk field edges or whatever. And you know, the easy trails just for the hell of it. But I know where I'm going to sit and try to kill deer is almost always going to be in the cover. And it, I should say something too. Like we, we've been talking a lot about, you know, you just mentioned seeing big bucks on camera while you're off doing work related stuff. A lot of people have given a lot of advice on late season and they've talked about killing big bucks. And I'm here to tell you if somebody's like, I consistently kill big bucks in the late season. They have an awesome spot to hunt. If you don't have an awesome spot to hunt this, that advice might not be that great. Right. And so I always tell people, I'm like, if you're, if you're hit that reset moment where gun season came and went and you're still trying to fill a tag, like this is a time to start hunting for deer 
And you know, if the good ones give you something to work with, go ahead, but you got to understand what you're dealing with here. Like if it, it, you know, if it's pretty hard to kill a big buck for you with an entire season before gun season, it's going to be orders of magnitude harder after. And so maybe it's time to shoot some does or little bucks or like maybe just to reset and go, I just want to get around deer and then make my decision then. Cause I think, I think a lot of people are consuming content and they're going, this is all big buck stuff. Like this is how to kill big bucks. And that's what sells. Right. But a lot of people aren't there yet. Like most people can't go out and kill a big late season buck. Like most hunters will never do it. And so if that sounds like you, maybe, maybe back off a little bit and just like, okay, I need to find deer first. I need to work these deer, see what they they're going to give me and then make my decision. Or go rabbit hunting. Sure. And, and some of us don't kill big bucks in the middle of November. So uh, <laughs> well, don't get too excited. I mean, dude, it, that's a great point, right? Like I always, I always talk about Iowa. Everybody's like, I want to go to Iowa and hunt. I was freaking awesome. Believe me. It's, it's candy land compared to most places. And yet, if you look at the success rates for bow hunters in Iowa, there are a hell of a lot of people not killing bucks, right? Look at the gun season success rates. Most of the people who live in Iowa and hunt in Iowa don't kill a buck in a given year. Well, like if the rut was your answer and a good deer herd was your answer and great habitat and no winter kill and no predators and blah, blah, blah was the answer to everything. Th- there would be a way higher success rate. It, sh- it just shows you how hard this stuff really is. Gotcha. One of the last questions I have that I have written down here. Um, We talk early season. People say, don't go hunt in the morning. You got to hunt the evenings. If you're going to hunt, you get into the rut. It's kind of like, you're going to sit all day. You're getting in that late part of the year. Is there a time of the day that you think is more potentially productive than others? Um, Sitting all day and, you know, single digit weather probably is not going to happen. Uh, but is, you know, if you had to focus in on the morning or the afternoon or. Dude, I hunt every chance I can. And it, <clears throat> so that, that early season morning thing drives me freaking bananas because it, it, it'd be like, it, we don't know each other. Right. And if I was like, Hey man, you should really structure your finances this way. And you should treat your wife this way. And you should raise your kids this way. You'd be like, what the hell? You don't know anything about my life. Right. It would be like, that would be offensive you don't, everybody has a different hunting situation out there. Like you might have an amazing farm to hunt in the mornings in September. Like you you might have perfect situations for access to get in, catch them coming off the fields and shoot big bucks in September all day long. And yet most of the advice we hear is don't do that. It's stupid. You know, it's, it's the same thing. Like when you, when you talk about late season stuff, like, I, man, I'm just like a big believer in like figure out what you can know for yourself. And so if somebody's like, well, you can't hunt mornings in December or you shouldn't, like, I don't know. Why not? Like, you don't, you don't think you can find a way to sneak into the timber and maybe you have a situation where you can't, but I'd find that out. And so for me, just, just for example, I I was hunting tonight on a place by my house and I'll hunt it all through the late season, whether I have a buck tag left or not, I'll go try to shoot some does. Or if I have a buck tag, I'll be hunting for a buck. And there's places in there where. I can hunt morning and evening, but I have to come in from different ways. You know, I can, I can basically play the same pattern coming and going, but one way might be like a five minute walk from one access point, And one way might be a 30 minute walk from the other access point. And it depends on when the wind's coming in and whether I'm hunting morning or evening, and it's a great spot to hunt, but it requires a lot of different stuff out of me. And I run into that all the time. And so I think we just, we get into this mindset of like, well, I'm being safe. I'm being smart. I'm like, hell go hunting. Like, <laughs> like, go, go try it. Like you want, you want to learn how to be a better hunter, go screw up a ton of stuff and then you'll eventually get better. And you'll see some of these things that we've heard and we've kind of like taken as gospel and we've internalized them. They might not be true for you. Like you might figure out something that's just badass for you where you're like, I, I can get in here in the morning all the time. And those deer always come through here. Like that's a possibility. Makes sense. Or that you touched, you got me going there on that one. Cause that, that one drives me freaking nuts, man. So do you want to tell us your feelings about the October lull then next? Is that <laughs> listen, man, I, I am a contrarian, I guess. I don't, <laughs> I just want to know, like, I, re- I remember this may be a weird example, right? But I, I, I used to tournament fish a lot. I love to fish. 
and I burnt myself right into the ground doing it. I do, I do it once in a while now for like a charity thing or a fun thing or something. But what blew my mind was how often like the doc talk of, you know, so you go pre-fishing, right. And you're fishing whatever lake and there's a hundred teams or a hundred anglers and you know, the, the tournament meeting the night before everybody's talking, right. Like, Oh, I'm not, you know, and everybody's lying, right. Like, Oh, I'm not catching anything. Or it's like, Oh my God, I heard he's smoking them on white spinner baits and with Colorado blades or something. And I just remember thinking like, I don't know, man, we're fishing for freaking largemouth bass. Like, I'm just going to go flip a jig or like it's midsummer. They're eating frogs. Like it, 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 we, we just let all of this white noise come in. When you think about it, it's like, that's just a dumb fish sitting out there that if a frog swims over him, he's probably going to eat it. Right. Like if he sees something, he thinks is a minnow, he's probably going to swim over and eat it. And we do that with deer hunting all the time where we're like, Oh, you know, like this, I don't think this is this way or the moon or the wind or the rain. I'm like, man, I don't know. The rabbits with antlers go out there and figure out what they like to do. Yes. I was waiting for you to use that analogy. I told my wife that the other day, she's like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, <laughs> let me explain. So, um, and I think I, I don't, I agree with you hundred percent and I, not to be, um, you know, careless when you get out into the woods, but I, I don't want to overthink it either. And there's one example I can give you is, uh, I get gutted deer this weekend in my backyard, uh, left the gut pile there, went, did all the butchering, took the remains of the carcass, put them out there. That night I had a real nice buck go walking right through there. Now, hello, your friend is dead here. She is no longer available. Like I, my thought process would be that they wouldn't be anywhere nearby. There's been turkey vultures and everything else. Like that, those deer are going to stay away. I've been back in there, but obviously like that wasn't what he was thinking. He didn't, you know, don't overthink it too much, you know, and write things off just because that's how we might do it. You know, if my, if my, my buddy got gunned down, I'm probably not going to go hang out in that area again, but you know, the deer don't look at it like that. So, well, yeah. And it, this is, I, Mark and I fight about this all the time because we're, we're different. <laughs> we, we've used, we view deer hunting a lot differently, but when you talk about that, like that's a perfect example, right? People will say, don't gut deer where you're going to hunt. You know, part of the, part of the idea is you're going to bring in coyotes and you don't want a concentration of coyotes around. It's like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't think they really care about, I think, I think we, we take this, I, I don't mean this, this is going to sound bad. We give them too much credit. Let me put it that way. Like we just give deer too much credit. And he, part of that comes from the fact that a lot of people with jobs similar to mine have been telling everybody how hard big bucks are to kill and how mythical they are and how they have a sixth sense. And, you know, like I, I was thinking about this the other day, I, I was out for a run and I was like, we always try to like portray the stuff we do as badass, right? Like our life, like we just, as humans, we naturally kind of just like, we gravitate toward that. Like when you tell a story, like if you, you know, the, the prime example is when people go elk hunting, like nobody's ever went on an easy elk hunt, right? Like everybody's always like climbing mountains and it was dangerous. And like, you, you just want to, you want people to think that you're a badass. We do this all the time. And we've gotten so much hunting advice from people who are hunting deer that are essentially high fence without the fences they have to make it seem like they're hunting something challenging, even though they're not. So we've been told over, and I'm not saying there aren't people out there who aren't hunting challenging deer. Like we we're getting those voices now and we've, we've had some of them for a long time. And I love that. But for a long time, we've been fed this narrative that just because a buck is four and a half or five and a half or six and a half, he's this mythical creature. And it's because people want you to believe that now that five and a half year old buck on public land in Pennsylvania, that's a tough dude to kill. Right. But that's, a, we, we know that like that, that five and a half year old that lives in anywhere that gets a lot of pressure. He's not an easy deer to kill, but they're not so difficult that we can't figure them out. And they're, they're not so difficult. If you don't put your work in, like you, you can, if you put some work in, you can get your chance, you know, but we've just, I think we've like done a real disservice to people by propping them up to a level that I don't, I don't think like the average deer really belongs at. Great. I, I agree. So. You got me all spun up, man. I know. Now you have to cool down for the rest, rest of the night. Um, Paul, I'm, I'm, he's covered all my questions. I'm ready to go. So cool, man. I, I, so I, I listened to, um, 
listen to one of your podcasts you did with Andy May back back in the summer. And it was like 10% hunting, 90% what, what kind of something that I'm struggling with right now. And that is kind of that transition from all I think about is shooting turkeys and shooting ducks and shooting deer into I've got small children, you know, and, and just kind of like, or I don't want to say like hunting just means less, but you know, the, like the priorities, you know, start to change like, you know, in, in your life. And it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a struggle because I still want to get out there all the time. But you know, then, then I look and I'm like, do I really want to miss like trick-or-treating, you know, do I, do I want to miss, you know, like all these fun things with the kids. Cause they're only kids for so long, you know, like I, I've oh, got, I'll come over for trick or treat and we'll hang out. It'll be, okay. you're going to be there. I'm dressing up like a guy riding a bear, Tony, if you're interested in that. So <laughs> um, that was my next question, but yeah. So, and it's, and I, I'm a big guy, so I think it's going to be pretty funny, um, but totally threw off my train of thought there. Um, Balancing family and work. Yeah. Just, just, and it, was, work. it was, it was, it was really, it was really insightful, man. And, and I hope people listen to it, but so how, like, how, how have you evolved? Is that like, you know, when, like when we're guys, when we're 25, man, we have like, we think about two things, you know, I'm going to mention those two things. One of them shoot deer. Um, you know, how, how chasing tail, evolved? man, that's all you got to chase chasing tail. Yeah. It's one thing. So like, how, how have you evolved over the years? Um, and just kind of, I, cause you've got young, you've got, you've what, you've got a couple girls. Yeah. I've got twin I've got, year olds. Yeah. Twin. Oh man. Look at you. I've got, I've got two girls too. So they're, uh, they're a blast. How old? Three and five. Oh, okay. You're in the heart of it then. So, I'm uh, in the heart of it, man. So it, it does amazing things for you. Cause it, like you said, you know, most people go through, if they, if they really get into bow hunting whitetails, specifically bow hunting whitetails, it's really easy to go nuts and just yeah. be like, this is For my sure. favorite thing in the world. Like I, like I said, when I, when I burned myself out tournament fishing, I, I fished nonstop until deer season opened. And then I hunted nonstop until deer season closed. And when I turned fishing into something where I was traveling and doing, you know, like 13 tournaments in a summer, I was like, this is no more fun. I hate myself. I hate this. I don't, I don't like any part of this. And I, I just was lucky to learn that lesson when I was pretty young, you know, I was in my early twenties when I learned it. And so when I got into deer hunting and then, or, you know, when I got into the industry and deer hunting started to become my job, not just my passion, I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta be like super careful with this. And I slipped a lot. Like I slipped a lot where it was, it became so, I I felt so much pressure to kill big ones because I'm like, dude, people are paying for my hunting advice. Like I gotta be a guy who kills stuff. And I tell you what, I fell apart. Like I had years where I was like, I didn't even want to see a deer walking in. Cause I'm like, if I shoot at this sucker, I'm going to hit him in the shoulder or the guts, or I'm going to miss him. And it's going to be, I was a mental wreck. I mean, I had, I literally had to reinvent myself because I was falling apart as a deer hunter. And as I was doing that, I started to realize like I had been there long enough where I'm like, you know, a lot of these guys who are giving this advice, like they're, they're hunting the easiest deer possible. Like this is, I, I can't compete with that. And so I like, I just kind of have to do my own thing. And in that time, like I quit drinking, we had the girls and it just made me realize like, this is such an important component of my life, but it's like one little piece. And I, and I love it. Like I want to do something for deer every week of my life or a couple times every week of my life, even if it's just like an hour shed hunt or shooting a bow or something. Like I always want, I love that connection to it. Even if it isn't just hunting freaking nonstop and traveling to seven different States, but it is like he said, just find that balance. Like you just realize, okay, like big bucks are cool. It's fun, but it's not, it's not as important as your little girls. Yeah. Like it's not, there's, there's things. And I'm so glad you brought up Andy May, dude. Like that guy, he's, he's so good at this stuff like yeah. he's so good. he's really he is really yeah, good i mean he just is, and yeah. when you when you get to know him his priority is his daughter yeah. without question like you there's no and i'm not i'm not like i'm not being facetious or anything here like i know andy pretty well like he chooses her over everything all the time until it's right for him to skip away and one of the things that makes him really good is that commitment to his daughter? Cause he knows I'm going to hunt X amount of days. I'm going to make those count. And I, I kind of went through a similar thing with my daughters where it was just like, man, I went from kind of unlimited time being a 
freelance writer who had no, nothing holding me home, but a wife who was like, just freaking go to all of a sudden it's like, okay, I can only be gone, you know, four days here and two days here. And, you know, maybe one big trip later or something, but it just made me go, don't waste your time. Like, and that's part of, you know, it kind of goes back to the earlier, what we were talking about. One of the reasons I've hunted mornings, I've always hunted mornings early season, but one of the reasons I hunt every chance I can is because when I get a chance, I'm going to go. And when you get that pared down time window, because you've got family and obligations and work and everything, it's like, are you going to sleep in? Cause the moon's full, like, no way, man, go hunting. You got that time. And so it's just, it is a balance, but it's, it's a, it seems hard, especially, you know, you're in the trenches right now, but when they get a little bit older, you just realize you're like, now they can come with me. And now you're just focus changes so much. And I, I just feel like I'm in a place where I'm like, dude, I, I don't know. I went and killed a bunch of big bucks. Like I shot a bunch of big deer on public land. Like I've, I've had, I've got a whole trophy room full of stuff. Like I just want my time to matter now. Like, I don't care. I, I don't know if I'll ever mount another deer again, to be honest with you, but I want to spend as much time out there as possible. And if that's with my girls, it's going to be freaking awesome. And if it's just a time where I'm not feeling guilty because I'm not with them, that's awesome too. Yeah. And you know, in that same episode, man, you guys talked about like how the experience of the hunt matters at this point in your careers and your lives. It just matters more than, than the actual, like the numbers, the score you know, that, that's associated with these animals. And, you know, last year, like, you know, my son and, and my best friend, we went out to like just this little piece of public and we, you know, we all had shotguns and we we're kicking brush and we shot like six rabbits and it was the best hunting that I've ever had. I mean, it was, we were laughing and, and, you know, eating good. And it was just great, man. And, and I, I think that's, I think that's important. And that, that podcast was really, I mean, it really hit home for me. So um, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Like, I think that I, I'm, I'm really lucky. Like I've, I've gotten yeah. to know a lot of these guys and I know the hunting public guys pretty well. And I, I know some of these people who are just killers and what it, what is so freaking cool about them is the, the most that you learn from them a lot of times is not when they're like, Hey dude, here's how you kill a buck. It's like, how do they conduct their life? Like what, well, how do they really like, what are they really like? Like what's really getting them going? Yeah. And when you, when you hear, you know, it, it's so easy to sort of just go like, okay, Andy may tell me how to kill big bucks. And, and, and there's benefits there, right? Like, Hey, Dan Infall, tell me how to kill. Like there's, there's benefits to that stuff. But when you start finding like how these, how these people like conduct their lives and what's important to them and how they, how they manage it, that's, probably as important as any deer hunting skill they possess and they possess a lot no that's 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 great i mean you know like the the, the people you hunt with you know just just your friends and and yeah it's just it's so it's it's such an important aspect for for hunting and i think so many people get get caught up and and i got sucked into that man and i i burned myself out on bow hunting because i was watching the Drury brothers and Lee and Tiffany just smash massive deer all the time. And I've always hunted public land, not because I'm, you know, like some you know, warrior for public land because I, I don't have anywhere else to hunt. And for years, it was just like basket rack eight, you know, like this little, you know, you know, one fifteen, little eight point. And, and, and like, so I, I was down on myself and burning myself out. And I don't know, man, like just a couple of years ago, I just started to shift and I just started to enjoy that experience more. And I think more people need to hear, you know, hear that. And it, it's okay, you know? And I like what you and Andy may have done. Like you said about Andy, like get really good at what you do, practice, you know, you do the things that you can control, you know, and, and do the things that are, that are really important. And then when you get those chances, maximize them. You know, and I, I think it's a good message. So I really appreciated that. Yeah. The other Andy. thing. And he's a stud. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, I, it, you know, Tony, I, I've been enjoying a lot of you guys in the in, in the industry are focusing on this idea that it's not how big the deer is, right? A trophy is a trophy, depending on how you interpret it. What did you put into it? You know, is it your first bow buck? Is it first whatever? Like, don't look at your deer and compare it to what they're getting on, you know, some of these these other Instagram accounts. And it, you know, no boy, we're going deep on this. I thought we were talking about late season deer, but now you're gonna get I mean, me sorry, going. man. I I Thanks, I, I, I rolled the train. I could talk about this for hours, man. So just the human side of hunting is is fascinating to me. So well, yeah, and you know there's something I was reading the other day about Instagram and how it affects teenage girls and they hit you know all this like uh depression and different things like that that they go through 
I don't think that men are much different when you're sitting there scrolling and you see big buck, big buck, but you're like, man, what? I suck. I suck at this. I don't have those. Why? What did I do wrong? What can I do? What can I buy to make this easier, better, whatever? And it's, uh, you know, the psychology of it, Paul, it's like going back to enjoying the time you have out there, spending the time with the people that, you know, you enjoy. Uh, and, and, and when you get that deer, I don't care if it's a doe, Paul, you saw how excited I got when I got my doe this year. That is the monkey off my back. I put a lot of stress on myself just to get something to fill the freezer. But, um, and I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that. When you go out and enjoy it, it just is so much better. But that is a huge topic that I think we could probably talk about for hours, but. Yeah. You think I got spun up before on the the hunting mornings thing, (laughs) that social media thing. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot to unpack there. I, I think, I think I'm not advocating anybody do this, but I really think that if we wanted to all be a lot happier in life and in deer hunting, it would be, it wouldn't be like a terrible thing to see big mushroom cloud come up from the server rooms of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter (laughs) and all of the, all the news organizations, all of them. Keep coming, man. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I love it, man. I'll second that. Yeah, I love it. So uh, Tony, I appreciate you, man. And what you guys do and, 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 uh, and, and what you stand for. So do we, do you want to tell us where people can find you? Sure. Uh, all the whitetail stuff's at meat eater now. Uh, so, you know, articles, the meat slash wired, uh, Mark and I put up a new YouTube video every single week at the wired to hunt, uh, YouTube stuff. channel. Good uh, stuff. It's usually a lot of how to stuff, some, some kind of, uh, deep dives into some of the, uh, deer studies out there. Just, just, you know, three or four or five minute hitters on one topic. Um, yeah. Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm guest hosting a bunch for Mark. I also have the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast that drops every Tuesday there. That is just a brain dump of me talking about what what you should be doing this week. And <laughs> it's uh that one's an interesting one. It's it's a really good one for people who are are learning deer hunting. Um, and it's something that I'm never ever gonna do again. <laughs> are you get are you gonna continue that through the year or uh it will, there will be an entire year of it when I am done and potentially two years, the second year will be a lot different. Yeah. We're, we're not sure yet. It's, it's a weird, that's a weird project. I, it's a lot of work, but I enjoy having to think about that. Like having to think like, if you, if you really wanted to be a better deer hunter, how would you break up every single week of the year? And I can't, it, it's a good project for me because I haven't had to, I haven't had to do that. You know what I mean? Like I've written books on this stuff, like, but I've never just been like, okay, how do you, how do you tell somebody for like 20 minutes a week? Like, this is what you should be doing. It's a weird deal, but it seems to be going pretty well. I don't know. Awesome. I I don't get a ton of hate mail out of that one. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Tony, we really appreciate it. And uh, good luck the rest of the season. And hopefully we can take some of these tips and, uh, put them to good use. Awesome. Thank you guys. Yep. Thanks. Take care.